And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Yuri Brito. He's Senior Pastor of Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida. Yuri, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Always a joy to be back with you, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. We have some simple questions today. I suppose a high-level description could be the well-being of the work of the congregants. Uh, that is, uh, members of churches. And uh, to get us started, uh, Pastor Yuri, um, how should a Christian parent view their children? Well, our listeners may remember a, a famous line from our, our former president, uh, George W. Bush, who said something about no child left behind. And uh, I've always kept that phrase, and of course, I've applied it uh, theologically. I think that's a, a good description that children in our homes and in our churches ought not to be left behind. And so what I mean by that is that sometimes, um, not intentionally, but unintentionally, children become second-class citizens in the life of the church. And I think that's a real disservice to uh, how the Bible portrays children in the worship of God's people and also in the life of the, in the life of the church altogether. Children have always played an integral part in the life of the congregation so that if you look through all the Old Testament feasts, and even in the book of Acts, you see that children, even nursing infants, are involved in the feasting of God's people. So the first thing I'd say in terms of how parenting ought to consider our children is that they ought to integrate children in the life of the family so that children engage, even if their understanding is not developed, that they engage from their earliest days in the life of the church so that at the end they will say, there's never been a time where I have not been engaged in the language and the vocabulary of church life. So I would mm. at least begin with that, that sort of statement, that children ought to have an integral part in the life of the congregation. I love that. And uh, sometimes a parent will feel bad that their child is a little bit noisy at various times during the service. Uh, does that bother you as a pastor in the pulpit? I uh, have a, a saying in my congregation that the sounds of children are the background of my sermons, <laughs> and uh, it's the background music. I, I, I can't imagine anything more lovely than the sounds of children in worship. In fact, Psalm 8 uh, tackles that uh, in a theological form. Psalm 8 says that out of the mouths of babes and children I have declared praises to frighten the enemies and the avenger. And so it, at the very least we can say, that the very voices of children are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so I know that there are parents who come up to me and say, oh, I'm so sorry for the distraction, for the crying. And I always say, no, no, that had to be a part of the service because the kingdom of God comes through violence and it comes through sounds and it comes through noises. We are in a constant battle against principalities and powers. And the voices of our children are part of that declaration that not even they can remain silent in the presence of God. Even they are declaring the praises of God from their earliest days. And so I, um, I, am, I am a tremendous encourager of parents bringing their children from their earliest days. And of course, if they need to take them out for any particular reason, there are all sorts of exceptions. But on an ordinary basis, I think children ought to be, again, integrated into the life, the sounds of congregational life. Mm, yeah. Now, as a family, um, the the week goes on and, and hard work is done. You know, the, the father right. certainly is out 
uh, earning a living, and sometimes moms have to take on some extra work just to make ends meet. But uh, they're always looking forward to, it seems to me, the Lord's Day worship with God's people. And um, is there anything that helps a family to kind of um, set the tone or prepare for Lord's Day worship that they can keep in mind during the week, and especially as they get close to the Lord's Day? Well, that's a terrific question. And I think there are so many practical steps that families can do. For one, one principle, for example, Dan, is in our home, we don't do anything on Saturday nights. Not because we're opposed to it, but I think um, because generally that tends to add a little additional chaos to our Sunday morning. And so we don't go out on Sunday on Saturday nights, mainly because we want to have our children's our clothes ironed. We want to make sure they get to bed early. I mean, I've as a pastor, anybody who's been in a congregation, you can see, you can notice when people are tired. And part of that is just a little preparation can make your Sundays truly a joyful day. And that's what the Lord's Day is. The Lord's Day is a day of rejoicing. And so I think that kind of, uh, at least that uh, self-conscious, that awareness that something remarkable is about to happen on Sunday morning, if you think about that on Saturday night, um, suddenly your Sundays become no longer as chaotic as, you know, things always happen when you have children. But if you can diminish that potential chaos, you're setting the mood for Sunday morning, which can be a very joyful one, and it ought to be a very joyful one. And so there are certain things that we do as a family during the week, uh, since we know what the uh, sermon text will be for Sunday, since we know uh, what the hymns uh, will be for Sunday. And if your congregation doesn't provide that, make sure you ask your pastor, Pastor, can we know in advance what the hymns will be or the songs will be so we can practice them during the week, so we can read aloud to our children and to one another what the sermon text would be. So all these things uh, bring a level of familiarity uh, so that on Sunday morning, uh, you feel a lot more at home when you have an idea of what will be sung, when you are prepared both mind, soul, and strength uh, for the Lord's Day service. And I think that's the beginning of of a, a healthy conversation on that topic, which I think is very fundamental for families in the church. Mm, very helpful. You run a website called Kyperion Commentary, and one of the recent postings uh, actually has a title, Kyperion Sabbatarianism. And I love this idea of joy coupled with our expectations of God meeting us on the Lord's Day. Do you want to add anything else to that? Yes, I think um, what a wonderful topic. We have. Uh, we now live in an evangelical culture where we believe in the Nine Commandments, and so we have, um, we have um, diminished what God has uh, made very clear, and I think that's a, that's a real problem. And so uh, we need to go beyond lip service to the Fourth Commandment. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, I understand there are um, thousands, perhaps millions of pages spilt on this on this topic, even the writings of the Puritans and, and Calvin, even earlier, uh, talked quite a bit about the Fourth Commandment, its role. But at the very least, I think there are some principles that uh, Abraham Kuyper articulated and many others have articulated since then that nobody can deny. We all should agree with these principles. Number one, there is something significant about uh, the Sabbath, and so I'm, I'm assuming here that there has been a, a glorification of the Sabbath from uh, uh, Saturday to Sunday, first day of the week. And if, uh, with that assumption, I would say there are some principles we can keep in mind, is that 
the Lord's Day has never meant to be a day of somberness and sadness where we walk around with uh, head bowed and eyes closed, <laughs> but it ought to be a day of jubilance, which means we lift up our eyes to the hills from whence comes the help of our Lord. Mm. We look up. We look up to receive the benediction. We look up to sing the praises of God's people. Um, it's a marvelous experience to look around the congregation and sing children uh, two, three, five, ten, singing the same things you're singing, reciting the same confession you're reciting, um, uh, proclaiming the the majesty of Jesus. There's a, a beauty in unity that I think it's um, it needs to be emphasized often. And the Lord's Day provides that rhythm. When we get out of that rhythm, we lose the celebratory nature of the Lord's. When we get into a rhythm when we realize we're coming together to do this thing, this service in honor of our triune God, that ought to have that provide the impetus for a celebratory mood. And coupled with that, if the Lord's Day ought to be a day of celebration, not the day of reservation, but a day of celebration, that ought to set the stage for all sorts of communal activities. So in our congregation, Dan, we have uh, the Lord's Supper weekly. Um, which is not very common here in the South, but it's, it's weekly, and we can't imagine anything outside of that. But one of the reasons it's weekly, one of the 100 reasons it's weekly, is because we gather together at the Lord's table as a preparation for when we gather together at our brother and sister's table after church. And so the Lord's table sets a, the precedent so that we would say, okay, church is over. Instead of all of us going our separate ways and saying goodbye to the next Sunday, what we're doing is we're going our separate ways to uh, head over to home to change, and then we come together in someone's home uh, to meet and to talk and to fellowship and to delight in all the good gifts that God has given us and to watch our children play and enjoy themselves and to talk about good theology, talk about all sorts of wonderful things. And so if you take away that element of celebration of Sunday morning worship, it's very difficult to uh, continue that celebration throughout the day. And so I think we ought to have a continuous rhythm of joy so that God's people can enjoy the fellowship of heaven in the morning and the fellowship of earth throughout the rest of the Lord's Day. Mm, very helpful. The Lord's Day, it's a wonderful thing, and thank you for, for sharing that. What about um, nurses, uh, those who do emergency support, police, uh, even radio networks that are a 24 by 7 requirement. Um, any words for those who uh, have to do work and they have no choice? That's a terrific question. I, we have uh, several nurses and several folks who work in, in the field, which I think the, the confessional called the deeds of mercy. Hmm. Uh, these are the kinds of things that are required for any any society to function properly right uh, you can't you can't forsake these things otherwise the society at large uh, fails right. so the, even the even the confession made these kinds of except even the puritans would make these kinds of exceptions i think there are ways we can uh, provide um, some additional support to these individuals sometimes these families uh, one way to do it of course is to uh, provide a, a, a midweek service that at least uh, gives them a, a flavor of, of church life. Um, hopefully this is not a kind of job that takes every Sunday. I think that would be uh, uh, unhelpful in every way, and I would, right. I would, I would uh, strongly encourage uh, people to, to change that if, if at all possible. 
But the one thing we provide in our congregation is a live stream, a live feed of our services for those who are in hospitals who can probably take a little time on the side to watch our services online um, or when they come back. We make, uh, in many ways, for moms who may work outside the home on Sundays in these emergency requirements, uh, we provide a sermon manuscript so they can read it, uh, so they can be engaged, so they don't feel so outside of regular congregational life. So I think there are creative ways of giving uh, Sabbath rest for these people who are working so hard to make sure our society functions uh, in a decent way. Uh, but I think the congregation, especially the leadership, need to be very self-aware that there will always be the, these kinds of people in the church. In the church, And uh, we need to provide means for them to also grow uh, as they uh, serve their communities on Sunday mornings. Yes, yes. Um, today we're talking with Pastor Yuri Brito, and uh, we're talking about the well-being of the work of congregants. And uh, he's a pastor of Providence Church, Pensacola, Florida area. Um, before I forget, Pastor Brito, if someone wants to check you guys out and attend Sunday worship, how would they go about doing that? Well, they can go to uh, ProvidencePensacola.org, uh, and they can find all the information uh, they need there. against ProvidencePensacola.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and all the major uh, social media platforms, but um, it would be a, if you're down here for our beautiful beaches, it would be a delight to get to know you and have a, a meal with you following morning worship. Oh, that's neat. Now let's switch gears just a little bit, talk about our callings and occupations. Um, not everyone is a pastor, you know, formally speaking, uh, like you are. Um, are these other occupations to be considered holy? That's a great question, a question that, um, you know, Martin Luther and, uh, to a certain extent, Calvin dealt with in the um, 16th century, our Reformed forefathers. And so one of, the, one of the issues that arose from this conversation is that in the 16th century, the role of clergy was exalted uh, to such a place that um, anybody who had not a position in the church was belittled or looked down upon in society uh, as an inferior uh, kind of position. And Luther comes along and develops this idea uh, that we call in theology the priesthood of all believers. And that essentially means, the priesthood of all believers means that all Christians are priests in some way. All of them have a kind of mediatorial role, meaning all of them have something to provide to offer the kingdom of God and that uh, that is um, distinct from, in some ways, what the pastor provides. While the pastor provides word and sacrament, while he administers these things in church life, the role of the cobbler, the role of the firefighter, the role of the police officer has equal significance in the kingdom as a pastor. And I think what that doctrine of vocation does is that it equalizes the ground in the kingdom of God so that people are not, uh, uh, James says that not all should be teachers, and the reason not all should be teachers is because the kingdom is a very mighty big place, mm. that God expects people to fulfill certain functions in society that advances the kingdom of God. So we need moral, ethical police officers. We need gifted architects. We need uh, faithful stay-at-home moms who are doing a mighty work for the kingdom of God. We need all these professions and God exalts them just as much as he exalts uh, the position of a clergy. 
And so in my congregation, I am uh, fond of appraising uh, particular individuals and their jobs as often as I can because I want them to know that their jobs are valued not just by their pastor, but their jobs are valued by God himself who exalts all professions, who says that anything that is worthy of the kingdom of God ought to be performed for the glory of God. And so I think there is that great equalizer there in the doctrine of the priesthood of the believers that we ought to give very careful attention and also to take the time to praise those, not only the clergy, but those who are fulfilling functions that um, uh, that protect us and that give us uh, certain fruits of any of any any beautiful society. Mm. Yes, Amen. Well, their work counts, and um, God uses it. What about this? This is an interesting area here. Um, Christendom, people. Yeah. That 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 term throws them. What, what on earth are you talking about? But is it appropriate to work towards the establishment of Christendom? Of course, Jesus does that himself, but we have a part. Is it appropriate? I think there is a lot of uh, timidity in the Christian community to talk about uh, the role of Christendom in society, primarily because I think there's a fear of sounding like, um, you know, Islam that talks yeah. this conversation about theocracy so much. But the reality is, Dan, that all religions, to some extent, um, affirm an idea that they would like to see their religious approach, their religious views, their religious legislation become the law of the land. If Christians affirm that Jesus is Lord, we cannot say, on the other hand, but not of society. And that has been the problem with this idea, what we call pietism, is that we have only affirmed the lordship of Jesus over our individual salvation, so that we forget that Jesus also um, has his lordship over all things. I mean, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, which we quote every Sunday in our congregation, not not a little or a portion, but all authority in heaven and on earth, it doesn't say only in heaven, but in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. And so with that authority comes the responsibility of the people of Jesus, the people who follow Jesus, the people who are united to Jesus, to live out their individual salvations in at home, in society, at work, at church. We can't separate our life outside the home. Uh, we, we just can't do that. We can't uh, take off our hats, uh, leave our hats at home, and then go out. We carry our mark. We carry the mark of our Christianity, the mark of our baptisms with us wherever we go. We carry even the name of God himself, as the third commandment implies, wherever we go. And so the idea of a Christian society ought to be really at the forefront of everything we do. And if we just think about it consistently, we'll realize that, because we want the glory of God to reign over our homes. We want the glory of God to reign over the church. So why would we not want the glory of God to reign over society? Yeah. So these spheres are integrally tied, and we can't just separate them. We can't claim the lordship of Jesus over one sphere and then just say, oh, well, he's not lord in this sphere here. We'll leave, we'll leave the pagans in charge of that. <laughs> no, the Christian, the Christian simply does not have that alternative. Um, there is only Christendom, or there are false fi- uh, false forms of Christendom, and uh, obviously we affirm 
that Jesus is Lord of all society. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about there's a few that work um, jobs that are that are not strictly pastoral. Uh, we're all pastors to an extent, but but right. their full time job is as perhaps um, maybe they're well drillers or something. Um, some of these folks are entrepreneurs. They they develop a business from the ground up, or they invent a product. Um, how can they not burn themselves out? Because these guys and gals are extremely driven. Um, they might call them a type A personality. And it seems to me it, it is easy and I, I love these people because thank God for them and their inventions and their products and their businesses. But how can they not burn themselves out, I guess, is my question. Mm, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, I, the, the first thing I would say is that husbands need to have a very, very uh, a profound relationship with their wives where this communication flows freely. And so if a husband um, who is entrepreneur, who has these, these gifts um, that typically sees no ends, right? They can use them for 60, 80 <laughs> hours, 110 hours if you let them. Uh, they're just so committed and so visionary that they can pour all of their affections into one thing. And the danger, of course, is we begin to idolize work. And um, work has a fundamental purpose, which is the glory of God. If work is... Um, if work is the end in of itself, then other things are falling apart, and that right. might be uh, marriages, that might be parenting. And so uh, a good congregation ought to have pastors that is con- are constantly asking these kinds of questions. How are you using your time? Um, well, you know, I need to travel for this, for this, for this, for this, for this, and I'm going to be away from my home for a considerable amount of time. And sometimes these travels um, are... Um, are not necessary. And so we need to ask these kinds of questions. And so burnout is, is, is a real thing. And it happens in the clergy. It happens with entrepreneurs. It happens with people who are very, are very gifted at what they do. And so we want to just simply have a conversation about it and also realize that the reason the fourth commandment exists is to keep us in a balanced way of doing life. If we think that only those people need rest, but not us, because we we take all our vitamins and all our supplements, yes. and we can just keep going. We're fooling ourselves, and the temptation of that is that we end up making something an idol. And God says, you shall have no idols. You shall not make any graven images, even our jobs that we love. And we can rationalize it, Dan. You know that we can rationalize it. We can, we're working 90 hours because we're... Uh, you know, paying my college the college tuition of our children. We're doing X, Y, or Z. Well, that's not worth the price. Uh, we can all bring our inner lawyers and justify and vindicate our actions. But at the end of our day, we need to really analyze what is our time being used for. And, prob- and the book of Ecclesiastes makes very clear there's a time for everything. There isn't a time only for work. There's a time for all sorts of things. So we need to um, to diversify our agenda so that um, we don't have all green lines. You know, I have a Google calendar, and it's colored. And so for a lot of people, there's only one color, and it's work. <laughs> uh, we need to add other colors to our calendar. There's work, there's family. And so that's, a, that's another interesting conversation about the rituals and habits of our Christian life that we can talk about some other time. Yeah. But I think we have, uh, we have failed to diversify 
our lives by emphasizing only one thing. And uh, we need a kind of Christian who understands that there's a time for everything. And um, I, I think that's the, the way to move forward in this conversation. Well, this has been rich. Uh, today we've been talking with Pastor Yuri Brito. And uh, he's on Facebook, so uh, maybe you can look him up and befriend him. Uh, now and then, Yuri, you, you post like a like a, a, a tender note to like a Christian friend in the in, in the church and and advising him as 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 a father in the faith and I really enjoy those notes. Uh, again, if someone wants to check you out online, uh, where can they go? Well, they can they can um, you know send me of course a friend request on Facebook and just to be engaged. I think these these letters that I write on a, a daily basis are are a way of engaging people at different stages of life. So if they come just on Facebook and look for Yuri Brito, my name, U-R-I-B-R-I-T-O, um, you'll get to see um, those publicly, those letters publicly. But they can also visit me on my blog where I repost these letters uh, at yuribrito.com. That's U-R-I-B-R-I-T-O.com, just to follow a bit of my, of my current projects and some of the things that are going on in my life. But I, I think there's a real need to engage ordinary Christians on uh, important topics that sometimes are just not covered in church life. Hmm. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're a busy man. Uh, you've got a large family and a very active church. You're also working on your doctorate, as I recall, and we are blessed to have you fit us in today. Uh, Pastor Brito, thank you very much. Dan, always a pleasure. I look forward to next time. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right here on the earth like it is in heaven. Let your Oh God of my